We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 97. This is going to be the second-to-last episode before Yankees baseball is officially over. Scott, uh, last week you did not write them off for the playoffs this season. Are you ready to do that yet? <laughs> yeah, I would be uh, I would be completely ignorant if I didn't write them off at this point. It's it's done. I mean, it's done. It's so when, good- you have a, when, you have, when you have an elimination number that's under three, even under five, you're screwed. With that many teams in front of you, there's there's zero chance. So yeah, I've uh, I've I've come to accept it. This is one of the more lame weeks of baseball I can remember. Uh, would they go 33 innings without scoring a run? If that had happened in the middle of the season, I think it would have been hysteria in Yankees land. But the fact that the writing was kind of on the wall, I think even though you did not write them off after last weekend in Fenway, that was the official nail in the coffin for their season. Um, so I think a lot of people may have checked out mentally this past week, but I mean, you go three and a half games without scoring a run. That is brutal. Yeah. And you know, when we recorded, it was Sunday from what I remember. So they hadn't actually gotten swept in Boston yet. And that just the fact that the sweep hadn't set into my brain yet, that was a, that was a tough pill to swallow. That was a, that was a pretty bad series. Talk about laying an egg at a crucial time. It's just the team had zero, zero left. I mean, it was at, Thursday, I think, just ended the season. Uh, the, a, thurs, the Thursday of the, the first game of the Red Sox series. Yeah, 
the backbreaking loss. I mean, it's yeah. in completely understandable looking back on it why the team folded like they did in Fenway, but they win that first game of the series. It, you're possibly looking at a three out of four series win for the Yankees, and instead it was a sweep. Yeah, that game would have been a totally the season. The end of the season could have been very different if that game was closed out the way it should have been. So like, I think we'll people, never know. I think a lot of people listening to us right now are like, "Please, God, shut the hell up about that Fenway, about that Red Sox series." At this point, don't want to relive bad memories. So we will move on from that. We got plenty to talk about. First, I want to say nice job with the Rob Ref Snyder podcast. If you guys have not listened to it, go check it out. It is episode ninety six. It was released on Friday of last week. Scott was able to get a 45-minute interview conversation. Uh, it was a pretty laid-back conversation. Ref Snyder seems like a pretty chill dude. I guess he's got that Cali blood in him, uh, but he seemed like a nice dude. Yeah, honestly, overall, he was just, he was extremely nice and, uh, you know, super easy to talk to. I mean, he's, uh, you could definitely tell he's a laid-back guy, which, which also, you start thinking about what was going on last year and some of the rumors about him being some kind of a an attitude. Like, I, th- there's just zero possibility of this actually being true. There's just no chance. This guy is not. There's no possible way this guy was ever a problem with anybody. He's just he's extremely nice, and you can tell he's it's genuine, just a, a nice dude. So I don't I don't see any of that. I don't know what it is. Maybe because maybe being laid back too much could be perceived as something else. I don't know. But um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, wasn't you, the knock on him that he was maybe a little too cocky? But like, yeah, said, I don't I mean, see that at all. He, you couldn't even get out of him like that. He was, he was good at baseball. Essentially, <laughs> from the sound of it, he made it seem like he was just lucky to be in the major league. So he did not seem cocky at all. Exactly, and you could just tell by because we talked a lot about, uh, you know, the the way he was raised and his parents and all this, and a lot of it was, hey. Your da- his dad's saying, you're not the biggest dude, you're not the most talented guy, but if you work the hardest, you can do anything. And like that mentality, that, that is not the mentality of somebody who's cocky. It's just, it's not at all. Not e- it's the opposite of. So, so yeah, I think that was all just, uh, just media trying to make something out of nothing. And, you know, the fact is, is the guy, you know, obviously had a, a pretty, you know, a great career leading up to um, the Yankees. And if you think about the past and all the, all the position players and how long it takes to get to the Yankees, he actually... Came up pretty quick. I mean, I think all of these guys, minus Gary Sanchez, who's been in the system for like 20 years, but everybody seems like they've they've been almost on the fast path, especially for New York Yankees minor league guys, uh, position guys, and uh, it's just it's impressive to see them all come up. But you know, there was a lot of really cool information, stuff that I didn't know. Um, and then we did a you know we did a lot of just about him, and then you know the the dynamic in the clubhouse and Scranton and all that stuff. So definitely check it out. There's the, the video. We did a Skype video too. So. Uh, released the audio version on Friday, and then to Tuesday, we're recording on Monday. Tuesday is when the video version will come out, and it's just the two of us hanging out on Skype. So, yeah, check check it out. I liked when he was talking about who thinks they're the funniest in the clubhouse, and he basically said Greg Bird is the corniest dude out there. Yeah, but his immediate reaction was Aaron Judge. <laughs> it was a very quick reaction of Aaron Judge, and then I think he started thinking about it. He's like, "Wait, no, wait, hold on." <laughs> but Bird's jokes are ridiculous. It's Bird, absolutely. Yeah, so, cornbread to the max. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. And uh, also about the the part where he he was basically an outfielder in college and he gets the call from Yankees yeah. scouts and he's get drafted by the Yankees. He's probably ecstatic that he's going to be drafted by a major league team, not just any major league team, but the Yankees. And then they drop the bomb. Oh, yeah, we're drafting second you as base. a second baseman. I'd be like, wait, what? I, I've never done that before. I would have shit my pants if I were him. 
Well, I think the fun if you if you listen to that conversation too, because we definitely talked a lot more about the positions. Uh, we I definitely tried to ask and and poke in there as much as I could because I was curious. I wanted to see what how he felt about moving all around to these different positions, and you could tell that he was not comfortable going to the infield. Period. I mean, this this guy's an outfielder. He didn't play anywhere else in high school, in college. You know, a couple games here and there for for you know emergency reasons, but he's an outfielder and. That's where he's comfortable. So the fact that they brought him in as an infielder is, to me, is very interesting. And to see, you know, how that transition is, how it's how it's happened, um, and the fact that he's never done it, you could tell you could tell he was apprehensive a, a bit, but then started to come around on the on the idea of it. So, well, it would be one thing if he did it in college, where he was probably in the top ten percent of athletes in college baseball. But once you get to professional baseball, everyone is as good as you. Right. So you're no longer can just out athletic if that's even a term um (laughs) your athleticism can no longer just be the only driving factor to your success you actually have to have played there and have experience to know the ins and outs of it when the game is moving so fast at the pro level so i mean it's totally understandable why he has struggled defensively in the infield if that's what you want to call it i mean i I don't even think it is that it's it was more he's not he's not a gold glove second baseman but no no but he's 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 the position no problem he's adequate and and yeah. for somebody who's only been doing it for a short time, it's pretty amazing. But um, yeah, great interview. Definitely go listen to it. Check out the Skype video. Uh, you said this come that is coming out today, right? As people are listening Tuesday, to this, Tuesday. yeah, it'll be yes, it'll be uh, probably early afternoon, late morning type thing uh, after the podcast. And um, speaking of Tuesday, the the podcast is going to be moving to Tuesday. Partial reason why we're doing it this week on Tuesday is because I was in Chicago this weekend. And unable to record on Sunday night, which is when we normally do it. So it is Monday night as we're recording this right now. But uh, we just figured it made sense as we're moving into the off season. Um, next Sunday is the the last game of the season, so that'll give us a a day to sort of comprehend everything that went on this Yankee season. It has been a wild up and down season, um, but we'll have a nice wrap up episode for you guys next week. Um, but Tuesdays from here on out for the rest of the off season and. Uh, into spring training of next year when we probably will shift back to Mondays. Yeah, and I got to tell you, you, you know, you mentioned the fact that it's an exhausting season. It has been. I mean, I'm literally exhausted. I, I feel like <laughs> mentally, I am mentally drained from this from this Yankee season just because of the. There's just been so much going on with the amount of change and up and down play, and there's just it was a real it was a lot to throw into one season. I mean, could you imagine if we were into the playoffs too, and then had that on top of it? It's it's a lot of stuff going on. Well, for, for I, one year, you just keep going at that point. You, you I, I get it, but I, I'm just saying that. If you if you were to add that on, I mean, this would have gone gone down as probably one of the more chaotic and hectic seasons. I mean, yes. even 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 just the regular season is probably one of the more chaotic and hectic seasons. Yes, the two of us who who host a podcast need a, an off season from baseball. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> it's 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 true. I mean, there there comes a point where where an off season uh, is is very welcomed, and, and you're like, okay, I could take a little break, and then the but then the fever comes back, you know, probably around. You know, November, December for me. Well, I'm, I'm honestly, the baseball playoffs are my favorite out of all the playoffs. So I'm going to yeah enjoy baseball throughout the month of October, even though the Yankees aren't in it. And we'll still talk a lot of baseball throughout the playoffs. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so going forward, I mean, at least in, for the rest of the baseball season, we'll still talk about Yankees if any news breaks, um, any transactions happen, anything like that. But obviously, we're going to be talking playoff baseball because um, it should be a pretty exciting year. I mean, um, so many, so many things could happen, and I'm kind of getting petrified of the baseball playoffs right now because 
It, it made me think about when I was in Chicago. This, I guess we can just transition into this. I went to a, a Cubs game, Cubs versus Cardinals, went to Wrigley Field for the first time. And I, and the Cubs have been the best team all season. And I'm I'm just starting to get really terrified that it's going to be Red Sox Cubs World Series, and the Red Sox yeah. are so damn hot right now. And it would basically be Theo's current team going up against his old team because he drafted Bogarts and Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. and all of those guys who are killing it for the Red Sox right now. And I just have a terrible feeling in my gut that it's going to be one of those weird playoff runs for the Red Sox. Ortiz's last year and it's just I can already it's giving me like shivers up my spine in a bad way right now uh, what I can kind of see is going to be happening in October and I really hope it doesn't happen yeah because unfortunately when you look at up and down the the teams that are going to be making it I mean granted there's still some up in the air but the ones in the American League they are by far the hottest team going into the playoffs right now by far in the American League and you're right when you if you if they could if they could get to the World Series that's that's scary. That's scary stuff. I mean, I know the baseball world in general would probably be happy because the ratings would be through the roof. But please, God, don't make it like that. I really, really do not want to see this happen. I want, I want to see, I do want to see the Cubs win the World Series, though. I think that would be cool. I, I mean, obviously, I, I really don't care who wins as long as it's not the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I but, mean, I would take any other AL East team as, except for them as well. Yeah, by, it, oh, by, oh, by a lot, definitely. by a lot. And we talked about that last year when it, when the Blue Jays were going through the playoffs. Obviously, we were we weren't rooting for the Blue Jays, but at the same time, if they had won, we would have been over it very quickly. Yeah, I, well, and especially this year, I feel like I'm would be over a lot faster this year than I would have been last year. Um, they don't annoy me as much this year as they did last year. But you mentioned the Red Sox are the hottest team by far in the AL right now, and it's almost better to be hot at the right time than good all season. Yeah, oh, no doubt. That's why I was talking about last week. That's why I think that Seattle might have peaked a little too early, and that's why the Yankees, when they went on that 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 eight-game winning streak, while it was needed at the time, it was too early to sustain uh, something like that. So, unfortunately, they were just in a position where they needed it at that time as well. But, yeah, you're right. If you get hot, if you're in a position where you're you're comfortable, you can make the playoffs, and you get hot as well, big time, that's, that's huge. I mean, momentum is everything in baseball. And uh, the the Indians have been kind of the forgotten good team in the AL all season. They've sort of flown under the radar, but they're fading quickly. They no longer have the best record in, ba- in in the American League. I think the Red Sox and Rangers are tied for best record in the AL. And, I, I mean, if the Red Sox have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, I mean, they mash at Fenway Park. I know. They're scary at Fenway. Like, look it's, what it's... they did to the Yankees at Fenway Park. They were down in three of those games. They should have lost three of those games and pulled them out of their ass to come back and win. It's it's a scary proposition if the Red Sox are at home for for the month of October. Yep, I totally agree with that. Whoever whoever uh, the other teams are, they need to they definitely need to steal that home field, and they know it. Especially Francona, you think you don't think the Indians are, are thinking about that with Francona knowing the way that the Red Sox play in Fenway Park? I mean, of of anybody, he knows it, so he knows damn well how important that is. Um, so my trip to Wrigley, you've never been to Wrigley, right? No, yeah, I'm I'm jealous. I didn't actually know you were going to a Cubs game, so I'm I'm pretty jealous about this. They were in town. When, I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and uh, and they were not in town, so I was not able to go. It was. It, I mean, Wrigley's been on my baseball bucket list ever since I can remember. Um, and yeah, we went to the Saturday game, uh, Cubs or Cubs Cardinals game. So obviously a huge rivalry, kind of like the National League version of the Red Sox Yankees. Uh, Wrigley's an awesome place, though. It it, it kind of just. I was jealous the whole time because 
I remember the feeling of the old Yankee Stadium and the atmosphere in that stadium. And it's just not there in the new stadium. And you and I have talked about this a thousand times at this point. But you go into Wrigley Field and it just feels different than walking into a different baseball park. I can't, it might sound corny, I can't describe it any better than that. But I walked in and I felt like it was different and better than other ballparks just from the history and the age of it. No, I get it. I think I think that makes complete sense because I feel like when it's almost like the the park has to be broken in and and have that history so that you have I mean you, you can look in in certain areas and you know where certain things happened. I mean, um you know, you look in the left field stands and you know exactly where uh where Alou was about to catch the ball and uh, I can't think of his name right now for some uh, Bartman where Bartman was about to you know, he ruined the Cubs forever. And you just, I don't know, you remember things about that, the the Ivy, it's just, it has that history behind it. And you're right, because I get that, and I hate to admit this, but I get that same exact feeling. I've never had this feeling walking to Wrigley because I've never been there, but I've been to Fenway, and yeah. I was jealous of Fenway at the time yep. because it was after the old Yankee Stadium closed, and when I go into that place, I'm like, damn, like, this place is pretty cool. And the fact that you're so, like, the older stadiums, you're closer to the ball, the, the field. I, I assume it's like that in Wrigley. Oh, yeah. Where it's I not was... so spread out. It's more it's more vertical than it is, you know, away from the field. I was upper deck down the left field. We were in the last section in the upper deck down the left field line. and Because we just bought the cheapest tickets we could find. Yeah. They were still expensive. But that's closer than anything in the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I mean, if you and you think about the old Yankee Stadium when you're in the 400 levels, I mean, it was it was straight down. I mean, like, don't trip because you're going down right. hard. Oh yeah, and, you're right uh, on top of the field. Yeah, that's all the new stadiums. I mean, I think it started with Camden Yards as like the blueprint of how these stadiums are laid out, but they're definitely more spread out. They go further away as you go up, whereas the old stadiums are more you know on top of the field. And Fenway is, I mean, th- like that place. I mean, it's not a big ballpark. We all know that, and. The fact of the matter is when you're it doesn't matter where you're sitting, you're right on the field. I mean, it, there's not a really a bad seat in that place. And th- that's that's it's pretty awesome. And yeah, I'm jealous. And you know what? We 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 shit on the the new stadium for the fact that it doesn't feel like the old stadium. And th- that's probably going to be the case no matter what, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's going to it's going to need to get cured. It's going to need to get worked in and and to to get some playoff games and some some success to happen and for us to have some really really good times there and some great memories at this place that are just uh, you know, and and multiple of these for for it to to get that to get that uh, I don't know that that feeling back. So you know, it'll it, happen eventually. Part of it is the fact that the Cubs are the most popular team in baseball right now. Everyone feels the energy around that team that they are trying to break a hundred and eight year old curse, and you could feel that in the ballpark. I mean, it was sold out on a on a, a game in which actually does not matter for the Cubs. Right. I know they hate the Cardinals, so that's a rivalry game, but the Cubs have already clinched everything they can possibly clinch in the National League. And yeah. they're still going balls to the walls at that stadium. It was sold out. We It's a noontime game. The game started at noon, which threw me off guard. That extra Central hour time. makes all the difference, yeah. so you can get there a little bit early, have a few beers before the game. But we had to rush there to get there by noon. And the thing was sold, and it was packed for first pitch. And Wrigleyville is an awesome place. I mean, so many bars around the stadium. And... I mean, I hate to say this because uh, obviously we know what the Bronx is, but you don't really – the Bronx is not a nice area. And the, there's a couple bars around Yankee Stadium that you go to, and we have fun, Billy, Stands, the Dugout, whatever it may be. But you can walk around Wrigleyville, and it, it's a neighborhood. I mean, it's it, it just it, – it feels nicer. Yeah, it's, it feels different. It's, it's just it's, – it's, it's different. And there was, a, there was a girl outside walking around with a goat, which I thought was funny. 
<laughs> well, the other thing about the fans being so pumped up, first of all, they're pumped up because they have the best team in baseball, so they're going to go and watch them no matter what. And two, you know, having the fans there for a game like that is that you know they have an opportunity to knock the to you know knock the Cardinals out of the playoffs in essence. Oh, yeah. I mean, by knocking them out of the the wild card by by beating them each each time is that's a big deal for the fans too. So I mean, they they may have not may have already clinched at that point, but I mean, the juice is still there because you want to get rid of the Cardinals. You know what I did notice is a huge difference though. There was plenty of Cardinals fans there, and there was no animosity between any of them in the stands. Yeah. It was so, friendly, so ho-hum atmosphere. Nice. Um, that does not happen when the rivalry is going well. Yankees, Red Sox. No, no. There's an East Coast edge. That's that. That's that edge of the of the East Coast. That little bit of uh, pissed offness everybody has in their in their breath, and that's fine. Yeah. It's something that's it's totally different than when you go to Chicago or anywhere in the Midwest. It, that doesn't exist. Everybody's very nice. Yeah, I was sitting next to some Cardinals fans, and I sat down, and the guy immediately uh, started talking to me, assuming I, I I guessed that I was a Cubs fan, even though I w- was wearing just regular clothes, and he could not have been nicer. And it's just it's just funny because that does not happen. Uh, on the East Coast, which I would not change for a thing. I like no, that. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot, actually. Um, I got a Chicago-style hot dog, which was good. Extremely messy. Throw all the relish and the pickles on there. Figured if I'm in Wrigley, gotta gotta do it up uh, as best I can, Chicago-style. Uh, all in all, great atmosphere. I mean, it's one of those places that you got to go to. Yeah. Um, last... Are you a, are you a fan of the Chicago hot dog? I am. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan. Absolutely. I had one when I was there and we used to have them. Actually, there was a little hot dog place down when I would go to Vero beach and go to Dodger spring training uh, with my family when I was a kid. And there was a place that had the Chicago style hot dogs. I didn't actually know I was eating a Chicago style hot dog until first time I went to Chicago. I'm, I'm, I mean, normally I'll choose like a sausage and peppers over a hot dog, but, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a good hot dog. Uh, but, um, I was wearing mustard after the thing. Yeah, that's okay. It's got a, it's better messy. Uh, last thing I'll say about Chicago baseball. We went into a few stores downtown. Um, just whatever. It might have had some sporting good stuff. Plenty of Bulls gear. Plenty of Bears gear. Blackhawks. All the Cubs gear you could imagine. Not a single shred of White Sox gear. It's yeah, like but- that team does not even exist in Chicago. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I. I have uh, when I've been there, it's it's all Cubs stuff. It's everywhere. I don't know how long the the White Sox have to be good in order for them to get some. See, the problem is is that if you think about 15 years ago, though, I mean, the Cubs. You walk, you talk about the energy walking into Wrigley. You walk in like before Sosa got there, and before that, the you know before the the home run started going out of that place. I mean, it was just an old ballpark at that point, right? It just it probably just felt old and and dreary because the Cubs were horrible for a long time. And at that point, when you have an old ballpark, ballpark, it starts feeling old, right? It starts feeling older. Whereas now you have like, oh, this brand new old ballpark with this new team that's dominant, and there's a new buzz in the air, and it's now it's charming. Whereas before it was just dreary. So I, I feel like um, the White Sox are the are the kind of like the dreary team right now in in Chicago. Oh yeah, my I have a buddy who lives in Chicago, and he's a White Sox fan, and he speaks of them as if they're dead. And, yeah. and it's like su- such a sadness in his voice about uh, how they're the team is completely going in the wrong direction. Um, and it, it's he's was like, oh, I'm jealous of the Yankees. The fact that they have now a new direction so quickly. And right. it, it does. We are completely spoiled when the fact that they at the beginning of the season, were trying to compete with veterans that, you know, a rod to share the whole the whole list goes on, and the, immediately at the trade deadline, they were. I, I can't put this in the. I can't put this in the category of spoiled in that sense, though. I mean, I think I feel like we're just extremely fortunate because Cashman 
I mean, no. If you think about what happened beforehand, before the season, and we looked at at the potential of of what actually occurred, and the fact that all these kids came up and everything, like this would have been not even in our wildest dreams to to be a possibility. And the fact that Cashman made it actually happen on pure like hustle and hard work and like cleverness, to me, it just makes us fortunate and not spoiled in that sense. If we had went out and bought a bunch of people, okay, I, I could go for that. But I just that I mean, that's just good GMing. <laughs> that's, just, that's a damn good GMing right there. I mean, it's a little bit of right place, right time. They I guess, sold yeah, high but... on Andrew Miller, sold high on Chapman, sold sold unbelievably high on Carlos Beltran. Yeah, I mean, better be lucky than good. That's that's what everybody always says. And the Yankees aren't usually in that position. They're usually just good. <laughs> and now they got lucky because they weren't good. So it's kind of ironic, actually, how it how this quick turnaround happened. And we say quick. I mean, we could have two more well, years. Just yeah, suck, it's not, but yeah, it's not knows? a turnaround yet. But... Uh, but there are bricks. There it, are bricks laid. Yeah, ninety nine percent of it though is the fact that Gary Sanchez appears to be a superstar. Right. And say he was just an average player. Right now he's batting two eighty with five home runs and twenty RBIs, and he was playing solid defense behind the plate. I don't think we'd be feeling as optimistic as we are right now. Probably not. I mean, just the fact that there's an there's an influx of of kids that are about to come up in the next year or two, is uh, is what's to me so exciting. So yeah, and then the fact that we have a freaking superstar. Yeah, I mean, it's the fact that we have potentially on our hands the a player of the caliber of a Bryce Harper or a Mike Trout, where he could be that type of player for the Yankees, a franchise altering player. Oh, way better start than those clowns. Way better start. Well, no one's had a better start than uh, <laughs> I know Mike Trout, but. But, well, but no, what, up until Gary Sanchez. But don't has. you remember like the narrative this year and after Derek Jeter retired is well who are the Yankees going to market now who is their yes. who is their the, face There was the no Yankees? exciting before the season started you and I were talking who's the guy Yeah well who's the guy right now Gary it's, Sanchez it, is now the face of the Yankees and it took a month Yeah you're right It's insane you're right. it's insane and and next year going into the year going into 2017 he's going to be the Yankees most popular player You're right There's no doubt um, I, I, not only because of the the stats, but I mean the the history he's making and everything. Uh, and, I, and I know everyone's discussing like, should he be rookie of the year? I think it's a kind of uh, I want I don't want to say dumb discussion because I think he has earned it, earned to be in that conversation. But people are like legit getting upset that he might not win the rookie of the year. It's kind of stupid. I mean, it, it's it's an award that really does not mean anything. Yeah, but I know. But the fact that I think people are getting upset is because he people are dismissing uh, Gary Sanchez as as a guy that should be up for it because of the time served in the major leagues, and that to me is also ridiculous. It, it there's you need to look at the body, the entire body, and this guy got to to where nobody else got to for you know half not even half of a season, and he's very much in the discussion. There's there's oh, absolutely no doubt. Totally. And he's had a season as catcher, 19 home runs, 38 RBIs, uh, OPS over 1,000, and a three-war. He's produced three wins for the Yankees in 47 games, which is unheard of. I mean, players, that's like an 11-and-a-half-war season, which is essentially what like Mickey Mantle did in his prime, what Barry Bonds did when he was doing all of the steroids on the West Coast and hitting 75 home runs. I mean, that that d- just does not happen to produce wins at that rate. So I understand why he's in the conversation, but he has only played 47 games. Right. Um, but, I mean, the stats are there, and I, I would totally understand, though, if the voters go for Michael Fulmer. I mean, he's leading the league in ERA, and he's been there all season. 
Yeah, no, I get it too. There's, there's, he's got a, he's got a much bigger body of work. And I mean, that's, you want to look at when they're, when they're, when they're actually going X's to O's of all these guys and they're seeing the stats and the stats are obviously ridiculous for Gary Sanchez. But the fact that the, the matter is when he said, when they say 47 games, that's going to mean a lot. And granted, Michael Fulmer is a pitcher, and he's had 25 starts. So I don't know. There's there could be a lot of there could be a lot of uh, back and forth on this. But that's he's kind been of been there all year. But he's only he has 25 starts. So it's it's kind of strange the fact that he's a starting pitcher. Don't you? And I have no actual proof of this. But don't you feel like the rookie of the year usually goes to a position player? Yes, I don't. I don't remember any. I don't remember the the pitch. I don't remember the, like. Like you said, the proof. I, I'm not no, looking, it's, at, it's I'm not looking at a list. I'm just going off my memory. But yeah. yes, it seems like a position player. This is me talking out of my ass. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll also talk out of my ass and agree with you. But say Gary Sanchez had 90 games right now, and he was, you know, 90 games, 25 or 30 home runs, which would not be at the same rate he is now. But I think he would definitely get it if it was just more games and the same stats, which I guess proves that he should be it, right? Yeah, I mean, you could go. I could. I could absolutely argue that he should be the the rookie of the year. There's no doubt. I mean, I was gonna make the argument if the Yankees made the playoffs that he should be MVP, and I right. was not gonna do it ironically. I was gonna make a serious case for that. And the funny thing is, is that he did all. He he did everything he possibly could have. Oh, I mean, the dude was a one man team. I mean, but I mean, he couldn't have done anything more at all. So the fact that they didn't make the playoffs, if they had made the playoffs, that means everybody else is doing other things. Um, but the reason why he can be a, a superstar is because he's a catcher. Um, I don't, there's no possible way for him to keep up the pace in which he's hitting home runs. I mean, it's just, he's not going to hit 65 home runs next year. I, you know, the, the, it's interesting. And this is, this, I'm going to go off the cuff here. I, I actually uh, meant to put this in our show notes before we always have show notes that we, we kind of use, but I'm going to go off the cuff because there's something I wanted to talk about. And it's, it's basically about what you were just saying. I was listening to Francesa this week and he was talking about, uh, it was a caller calling in about Gary Sanchez and long-term possibilities and what's going to happen. And Francesa, Francesa went, went very specific and very all in on this. And the fact that the Yankees need to find another DH and another catcher so that Gary Sanchez can be also can be a catcher slash DH for his entire career and starting next year. He doesn't think Francesco went all in saying he should not be a full-time catcher because how special his bat is. And because if he is a full-time catcher starting now and you know for the next five years or whatever, it's gonna take off life from his bat at the end of the years, at the end of his career. And it was a real you know, when he was saying that it was a it was a very interesting just you know, lying in the sand because he was he was like all in on this. Like this is exactly what they should do, and there's no other reason. There's no no nothing else you should do but this. And uh, well, it always happened it, with Posada, where come and, September he looked like he was fried. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for, but the the fact is, is that that Gary Sanchez is he does he's shown that the fact that he can be a special special batter and. And there's no doubt if he's catching an entire year, it, it's going to take away from that. And the Yankees would be worse off offensively if that were the case. Now, the, you, someone arguing against that is that, hey, this guy is almost as good defensively yes. as he is offensively. He's been an so, elite catcher. That's that's where I guess the, the problem lies in the sense that you're too good at one thing. Your body's eventually not going to cooperate with you and something's going to go. And do the Yankees try to nip that in the butt? 
I mean, that's when you and I were talking earlier, earlier in the year about Brian McCann and how he can actually be a valuable asset on this team next year. And after hearing what Francesco was saying, and I'm just thinking about it a little bit more, now I'm even more on board with, with McCann coming oh, back. The sports and, pope and being the sports in. pope got you. Yeah, I mean, well, I was I was pretty much on hot board with it before that. It was a hot take. I was on board with it beforehand, but I mean, I'm even more on board because now you can actually have, I mean, you could bring back Romine as well. Romine could be the backup catcher, and then you just platoon McCann, uh, you, you know, McCann's your DH, quote-unquote, and then you give Sanchez days off, um, with the uh, you know, with that flexibility. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to give him D, uh, time off or half a game off, basically, with uh, just being the DH and you're keeping his bat in there. So, but what if his bat is only seventy five percent of what we've seen, which is still great. It's still one of the better bats in the league. But say he's uh, for the season twenty five to thirty home runs and a two eighty hitter, which is very very good. Then. He's not as valuable if he's a DH. He's valuable right. in that sense because he is an elite defensive catcher as well. Right. And no, that's, I think that's it. If he were playing first base right now with the same stats, he would not be getting rookie of the year considerations. People would be amazed by how fast he was hitting home runs, but he, it's extra special because he's a catcher. And that's very, very rare. Well, I mean, I get that, but it's also the pace. So it, he could have been playing any position because of the pace that he did. This is ridiculous. But he's also and that's, throwing runners out at a, at a oh yeah yeah a but, great pace and he and he at a great rate and he's and he's uh, working well with the pitchers. I mean, he's per, he's helping the team. Win. Catcher is one of those positions where you can go zero for four and you could still help the team win. Right. So I I just think that I understand Francesca's point and I think it's definitely got. A lot of merit if he's going to be a 50 home run a year guy but i think if he's a 30 home run a year guy then i mean i'm not talking even 50 home runs if you're saying 35 to 40 home runs that's i mean what catcher is hitting 35 to 40 home runs mike piazza oh wait no he's not in the league anymore is he no he's in the hall of fame hmm. future <laughs> future uh spot for el gary maybe but i'm saying like that's i don't i don't know how you get to the to the point of saying, well, maybe he is a 35 home run guy, and that's why we have to keep him a catcher unless you do it. So there's going to have to be a decision made at some point, and I think the decision should weigh on the side of, hey, let's get a DH first, see how this rolls, and then if we need to just keep him a catcher, then we can do that. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand. Because then you're not wearing the guy out while you're making the decision. And this is, uh, this is like you said, I think they can have a short-term fix for it with McCann next season. Yeah. Um. None of us expected Sanchez to do this, so I think when the Yankees were trying to dump Brian McCann, they didn't nearly expect Gary Sanchez to be an MVP level player. So, right. Um, and I, and I honestly don't think the Yankees are going to be dumping McCann. I, I just don't see. I know we've talked to this to death, but oh, well, uh, we have an entire winter to talk about this to death. <laughs> even more, this this this, this is going to be a a dead horse. But <laughs> I just we feel like there's it. been nothing new. There's been no new developments in this Brian McCann thing. But every week, some new baseball reporter is is tweeting that oh, the Yankees are serious about dumping Brian McCann in the offseason. Like. Yeah, no, we've known the, this for a month. The now. only new news is that he's becoming more valuable as this season is going on, in my opinion, because of the flexibility and just you know the leadership and the way that the kids are coming up. He, to me, he's more valuable now than he ever has been. Yeah, and right now Gary Sanchez is doing it with nobody around him in the lineup. Castro is playing phenomenally before he got injured, but he's been injured for a week at this point. So. He's basically the only bat in the Yankees lineup, and he's still producing. You're going to add in Greg Bird next year. You're going to yep. add in, hopefully, a healthy Aaron Judge. 
You're going to have another, you're going to have Castro and Didi who are back in there playing well. So the lineup is not going to just be Gary Sanchez. He'll be batting third on opening day next season, but he'll, he might have Greg Bird hitting behind him or Starlin Castro or somebody who is also a very good hitter. Yeah, and he's going to have people in front of him too. Too, uh, I mean, there's. I, I feel like Didi's going to be in that spot in front of him. It's got to, right? I mean, that's, Didi. That's my gut. Yeah, I'm just so tired of seeing Jacoby Ellsbury and Brett Gardner at the top of the order. Brett Gardner's not going to be on this team. There's there's too many outfielders in our system that are exactly the same player. Well, you're you're going to have to basically you're selling for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, and they will. It sucks because I think they could have actually gotten a valuable piece. Remember, I mean, remember the Cleveland Indians were talking about trading possibly Danny Salazar for, for uh, yeah. Brett but Gardner? this is, I mean, that, was that one of the eleven-year-old reporters that came out and be like, "Hey, I know a guy that." But the fact that, that no one was saying that's the dumbest trade in history. Now that would be the dumbest trade in history. Yeah, it would be up there for sure. It's like a, it's like the trade the Mets got for um, what's it, Casimir. Remember that trade? What was it Victor Zambrano? Yes, because apparently Al Leiter hated Scott Casimir. That was the that was the. Oh, was that it? I don't. I didn't think oh, I. You, were, you don't remember that? Uh-uh. Michael K has teased him about this on the broadcast in the past, um, and and he. I think this has been refuted, but the main juxt of the rumor was that when Casimir came up as a Met, he was playing rap music, uh, specifically Eminem in the clubhouse, and Al Leiter <laughs> hated it, and asked the Mets to trade him. That's awesome. <laughs> Which is just. Asinine. Okay, so now now one of our new goals for the offseason is we need to get Al Leiter on the show so that we can talk about this. <laughs> we've got we got to solve this. What is it? Eighteen year old rumor at this point? Like yeah, when yeah. was Scott? I mean, Scott Casimir has been in the league forever, and he's still only thirty three. It's amazing. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. He came up, I think, like nineteen or twenty years old. That's like when um, I forget why I was looking at uh, Felix Hernandez like baseball reference page uh, like a week ago, and I was like, wait, he started in two thousand five. Like what? It hurt my brain to think about. There's a few guys like that. I mean, Molina's been in the league. It seems like forever too. Yeah, Cano, Cano was 05. Yeah, Cano feels it though, old bastard. <laughs> um. So as we were saying at the beginning of the show, horrible week for the Yankees. They went 33 innings without scoring a run. I mean, they were putting out AAA lineups, not even AAA lineups, because the Yankees AAA system won the champion, the damn championship this year. Um. Have we had a podcast before? No, we yeah, we have so not we had a that. Let's yeah, talk about that now. Congratulations to, to the Scranton <laughs> Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. You have won the International League Championship. You know, it's what's more impressive about that and uh Refstein and I were talking about this and the fact that there was so much turnover on that team yeah. and they still were able to win Dude, that. They did that without Gary Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, they did it without that. everybody who was producing at a high level. They're all they're all in the Yankees. It's crazy how much well, you know, all the 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 trade guys came over. They and, traded away they, the guy who won the MVP of the league before yeah, the championship. Right, right. Yeah, it was all new personnel. It was crazy. And Ref Snyder could not say enough good things about the the coaching staff at Scranton. Like they were like some of the best out there. And the fact that there you know there's there's jobs in the major leagues like around the corner for these dudes. So, um, yeah, good job by them. And that's an impressive win. It really is. It's really an impressive win. And and it, you know you know what is it's a lot of these pitchers who are uh, at you know, we've we've called them. People have 4A called them four A pitchers, and these guys that are dominating that throw ninety miles an hour on, on a good day, uh, but they can hit spots, and that's what that's what got them there. I mean, yeah, it was Montgomery. Uh, Jordan Montgomery had like a crazy playoffs. Yeah, and, and the uh, starting pitcher, I can't think of his name. He's got a it's a it's a unique name. I can't yeah. think of his name, but yeah, yeah, he's the one who you know he throws eighty nine, ninety miles an hour, but he paints. Yeah, right, and uh, you know that's it's 
it's just a it's interesting to see how they how they want it with all these new all the new guys. So you know, good job, good job by the rail riders. Good you job, know, good job, Scranton. You know what I was thinking? Like I saw them try like kind of running in for the celebration in the middle of the diamond, and they were obviously happy. But yeah. what kind of celebration do you think it is when you win a Triple A uh, championship? I mean, you got to be pumped up. That's that's your championship at that level, right? You're that's that's the next. It's the highest championship that you could possibly get next to a World Series. It's pretty good. Yeah, I would argue that I would rather say the win college, the college World, Series? World Series or something because you're younger. You're. I feel like once you get to AAA, your main focus is like how how the hell do I get to the big leagues? The College World Series is probably more exciting for them, but the. Triple A World Series is the highest level of baseball that you could play besides the yes. World Series. You, you, so it's no, impressive. You're absolutely right. Unless you want to go to Japan or something. Well, that would be disputed. <laughs> that would be disputed because some would say Triple A players, you know, a Triple A team, a good Triple A team, could take on a, Japan, a Japanese team. So well, you think they, you think they went balls out for for the uh, for the celebration afterwards, or do you think it was kind of mild? No, dude, I think I, they went nuts. I've seen I've seen the Triple A hockey players and the way that they. I've seen them well, after hockey players, a yeah, hockey guys. I'm just saying, I've seen Triple A. I've seen Triple A hockey when I was in college. The Norfolk Admirals won, and those guys were. I mean, they would always be out of the bars, always. And uh, those guys got loose. Uh, speaking of guys at at, uh, at bars, random baseball players. Um, do you remember Demetri Young? Yes, Demet Hook. Yes, that's the, the he had a brother, Delman Young. Delman Young, yeah, who murdered, Has a murdered the Yankees. But uh, Demetri Young played in the major leagues for the Tigers, and yeah. he was on a rehab rehab assignment for the Nationals, who had a single A affiliate in Burlington, Vermont, which is where I went to college, called the Lake Champlain or the um, Lake Lake Champlain Monsters. I can't even remember the the actual name of the team, but he was at the bars one night in Burlington, and. Um, Everyone was buying him drinks. And I'm sitting there like, why the hell are you buying Dimitri Young drinks? Not only has this guy made like $15 million in his career, but it's just like it's not even a it's like it's not even a cool player anymore. It's like who cares about Dimitri Young and buying him a drink? But yeah, so he was living it up in single A. That's a thing. That's a thing. Whenever people see uh major made players. Yeah, they buy them things. These guys don't pay for a damn thing when they're out. It's it's they don't pay for anything. They uh the there's one dude I'll never forget when I was when I was um I used to work at a sports bar when I was in college, and Aaron Brooks. Remember Aaron Brooks? He played. He was the quarterback for the Saints. Yeah, like, I, vaguely. He came in. Well. He uh, he's he was from the area. Came in and. Uh, ordered just like ridiculous amount of like uh, unbelievable. He was in with his like crew, unbelievable amount of stuff. He was arguing about the bill because he didn't want to pay for half the stuff. And then he left and didn't. I wasn't waiting on the table. One of my friends was and didn't tip at all. Zero dollars. Such a dick. What a scumbag. Yeah, what like, a scumbag. And but it's I know it's not all of these. A lot of these guys are nice guys and they tip well. But some of them are just they 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 feel entitled like they should just get everything for free because they're the guy and that's it. Well, like uh, those. I mean. Numerous stories of Tiger Woods being the worst tipper of all time. Yeah, that's just I would. That like, he'll me go off. out and spend like four thousand dollars at a restaurant and leave like a thirty dollar tip. It's oh, that's like so, that's so ridiculous. I would chase him out of like, the dude. Of you the... signed with Nike for like a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could spare a hundred dollar tip. Yeah, what a scumbag. But uh, these guys, the excuse is always like, "Well, I, I'm not. Why? Why should I tip more? I'm no different than anyone else." Well, you know what? You are different than everyone else. You need to, uh, you need to start giving it, giving it back a little bit. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, yeah, as we're saying, we kind of got sidetracked. I feel like the, the 
Doesn't it feel like the baseball season kind of ended at Fenway? Yes, on Sunday night, I felt demoralized. I felt I felt stupid for saying some of the things I said actually after the they got swept, and I was like, "Damn it! I wish we had recorded after this game because I don't feel like there's any breath left. I feel like there's nothing." Well, so. a couple things have happened that we got to touch on. First, Girardi storming out of a press conference after I believe it was the second loss in Toronto. He was being asked about his bullpen use and why he used Blake Parker, and I think it was like a three-run game at the time. And he, he just got totally fed up and stormed out. Not that it mattered because the Yankees were being shut out for the third consecutive game. It's obviously just frustration. But um, you, can, you can see like the season has totally worn on him and the team at this point. It's already always looks like a just like a beaten old man at the end of the year. He, he always wears it all on his sleeve and he always looks very frustrated. I, I, I'm interested to see... Uh, him uh, at this point in his in his career and his life after a very good season and going in with with high hopes. I mean, I he, how... he looks perpetually stressed out. Yeah, oh, he's always stressed out. Yes, I guess that's the life of a baseball manager. Yeah, he really looks stressed out though. You look at like Bruce Bochy, he never looks stressed out. That dude's just chilling. Um, the Yankees currently have seventy nine wins, so they are still not out of the woods for having a below five hundred season, which they have not done since ninety two. So it's been a hell of a run of five hundred or better. But unless they go, unless they win three games this week, they have seven games left. Unless they go three and four, they're going to finish five hundred or below. The funny thing is, is after this this current hot streak and you know all the optimism towards the end of the year, we're like, yeah, we're cruising above five hundred. All that stuff is done. We're not. We're no longer this five hundred team that we've been all year. <laughs> and look where we are. Well, I mean, the run differential on this team is still they're still negative by I don't know the actual number. I think yeah, but it's a tale looked, of two seasons. It's a tale of two uh, seasons. I mean, it's a tale of three seasons at this it's probably, point. Probably. Um, but the run, I mean, when a team has a negative run differential, they shouldn't sniff a winning record. But they are. Um, it, it all I mean, it all depends on you. You might lose eleven nothing and then win two to one. So run differential obviously can get thrown out of whack. Um, but usually. Stats in baseball, something like run differential, evens out in the end. So it's kind of fitting that they're hovering back towards the mean of 81 or 82 wins. I believe I tweeted back on like September 10th, this was in the middle of the Yankees' really hot streak, that they actually had the same record on like September 10th or September 12th of this year as they did last year. And that team was in first place for most of the season last year. Yeah. It's just insane to think about where this team was at one point this season. And that they even got to a point where they were playing you know, 550 baseball or whatever it was. Yeah, it's a testament more to the fact that there's these teams around us, I guess, are playing better. The pitching's been better than we expected, I think, in the AL East than all of us expected. Oh, you mean like uh, Rick Porcello probably winning the Cy Young? That just sounds so insane to me. I I mean, the dude was the worst pitcher in the league last year. I know, and then you look at the numbers. It's like, why does this this shit happen to the Red Sox? Like, Jackie Bradley Jr. is the worst player ever, and then all of a sudden he's this, like, dominant superstar. Porcello comes out, worst pitcher ever. Now he's about to win the Cy Young. It's ridiculous. The Red Sox? But last the first. I'm so sick of this nonsense. Ever since they won the freaking World Series, pisses me off. They could legitimately have the Cy Young and the MVP. Oh, no, Mookie Betts. Mookie yeah, Betts. He's gonna, he, yeah, he's he's up there for sure. And if not Mookie Betts, I bet David Ortiz will get some votes. See, that's what I never understood. That's the only thing I don't get. The MVP needs to be. They need to change it and just be just call it best player, best offensive be- player. Yes, because the MVP makes no sense if you have multiple people on one team. To me, I don't know how that could be. I don't know how you could have multiple MVPs the unless you valuable, actually. The word valuable is so dumb because it, when A Rod won it, 
he was hitting 55 home runs in no, Texas, I know. but his team won 72 games. It's like, right. well, how valuable is he? Uh, exactly. It's a ridiculous It's a so ridiculous. It's the, it's the best player award. Yeah. Um, That's what they I, need to call it. And I, and I think they could still have an MVP where if a guy carry, literally carries you to the playoffs like Gary Sanchez was doing for a little while with the Yankees. Or do you remember like when CeCe Sabathia pitched every three days for the Milwaukee the Milwaukee Brewers? Brewers, yeah. Like, he should have won the MVP that year because they would have been out of the playoffs w- without him, and he carried them to the playoffs single-handedly. So the, I, I honestly think it, it could be a fun award, the most valuable player, and you could get creative with it. If a guy only plays 50 games, but those 50 games he was killing it every day and your team would have been crap without those 50 games, give him the MVP. Yeah, I I totally agree. And the fact that... the um that they don't do it like that. Someone was just calling her a voicemail. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> someone's someone's leaving a voicemail right now as we're as we're talking. But um, the I, I just I don't know why they they always have to flip flop back and forth though because the fact of the matter is is if someone ha- is on a team that is is not contending at all, I don't understand how one person is valuable. So I mean we're thinking the same thing, but yeah, they need to just they have these silver slugger awards and and offensive players like that. So I no guess one that's gives a crap about that though. Yeah, I know. They just need to make it the offensive player more of a, a big deal. Because I think the reason they're not doing it is because the MVP now still could be a pitcher, too. Yes. And, I mean, uh, uh, Verlander won a couple years ago. Right. Um, and uh, But it's like some years they actually use it as the valuable player. Well, right. And exactly. Some years they'll use it as just a guy who's a stud who had a ridiculous season. I was just going to say that. And There's it's no stupid. Consistency. And, and and they refuse to give it to a DH because oh well how, he doesn't play the field so he can't be that valuable. Is this the here. writers? Do the writers vote on that? Yes. Stupid. The writers are stupid. Oh yeah, baseball writers are. <laughs> Some of them they just make no sense. Is what what annoys me is that they talk out of both sides of their mouth, and right. they're the same the same players that were voting for Barry Bonds for MVP four consecutive years won't vote for him for the Hall of Fame. Right. So, or the same writers, I mean. Um, question for you. Did we jinx Masahiro Tanaka last week when we said that it is remarkable how healthy he's been all season? No, I, I don't believe in the jinx. And I don't even think this injury is as big of a deal as I, I think they're just giving him time off because they Shut know what the deal down. is. Yeah, they they know they they know what the right the writing's on the wall and they're not going to mess with it. So that's what I think is happening. What the hell is a flexor mass? It's the uh, mass behind the flexor on the side of the ligament. Thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he strained it. Yeah, I saw that. Obviously, it was on the fourth home run ball. <laughs> um, yeah, I was enjoying that tweeting out just hashtag Ace during those that home run derby. He yeah, he actually came back and pitched pretty well. I know. I know. It was uh, it was it was very aceish to come back from that and only give up solo. Sh- it was very aceish to give up solo okay, sh- home runs. Four home four four home runs to Tampa Bay is like giving up twenty home runs to a regular. That's team. not true. Tampa Bay actually hits the ball out of the ballpark this year. They actually have a pretty pretty good amount of home runs hit. And also, again, again, I have no numbers in front of me, but <laughs> just talking at squarely out of my ass. They hit the ball out of the ballpark. We're really good at making assumptions without any <laughs> stats behind it. Yeah. Um. In all seriousness, though. Just shut him down for the rest of the year. Like, yeah, absolutely. Why? Like, who cares? And you know what? Shut down Dell and Batances for the rest of the year. Let's shut down Severino while we're at it. Well, I kind of want to see him start. He's pitching tonight. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, Batances, I, I actually do have some stats. You ready? And I believe I said it last week, and I wanted to actually find it. I said that he has thrown the most pitches out of any reliever in baseball since 2014, and he has. He's thrown 3,960 total pitches since the start of 2014, which is 
more than 200 above the next guy, Carlos Torres, 3,748. So, ton of pitches. For that's Delta a lot. Pitches. I mean, that's significant just seeing that he's 200 plus above the next guy. Yeah, like that's, if that's, it was 50 that's like or Scott 20. Pro- we're, ooh, I have an idea. We need to look up to see how many pitches Scott Proctor threw in the most, in the most, uh, his most uh, thrown in one year. Because that dude wore, got worn out. I'd be interested to see that. Okay, we just paused so I could look up how many pitches Scott Proctor threw, and it turns out Scott was way off, and he only threw 2,800 pitches in the time he was with the Yankees. Uh, so 1,000 less than Dylan Batances, which actually makes our point even stronger in the fact that he's kind of overused. I wasn't even guessing that he would be. I was just curious to see what the comparison was because I remember everybody. I mean, if, if you're a Yankees fan from when Scott Proctor was on the team— Everybody knew that this dude was like was was Tory's guy that he brought in consistently all the time, and he was getting his arm. This seemed like his arm was about to suffer. Well, yeah, well, you know what the thing was? He probably threw more pitches in the bullpen warming up than anyone anyone in history. I mean, it's just, but the fact that there's that much of a difference is crazy. So, Batances, though, I would shut him down too because let's just let's just re hit the reset button with Dylan Batances. He's had a very rough past three weeks, the brutal loss in Fenway. A number of other times, I mean, the, the loss over the weekend in Toronto, he he looks gassed. We've been saying this for two weeks now, and this is the second consecutive season that it's happened. So next season, they need to monitor his innings earlier in the season better and monitor the number of pitches he's throwing because we can't. It, if Dellen Batances is going to turn into a human come September every year, well, then guess what? The Yankees are going to struggle. Yeah, it's a big problem. There needs to be a plan for him now. Are we going to start having like the the Batantis rules or the Dellen rules or something like that? Because that's going to be annoying too, though. Of course, it'll be annoying. It wouldn't yeah. be a Yankees season without something annoying. Yeah, that might be annoying. Um, but it's true. The dude is not the same guy. Uh, all right. So we were gonna talk about free agency and some stuff that um, Buster only was reporting on this week, but I say we save it till next week and we can do an entire season wrap up and kind of preview the offseason a little bit because there's going to be so much stuff going into this offseason and I'm actually really excited for this offseason to see what they do to uh, improve on this team so we'll get into that um, uh, as we move into the offseason we got a couple mailbags and then uh, we'll wrap up the show with the unfortunate sad news of Jose Fernandez Um, first question though is a Twitter question and it comes from at Alta Muramark he says, what are you looking forward to the last few games now that the season is almost over? So I, I guess I'm just looking for the young guys to finish on a positive note. Uh, you know, we'll see Teixeira finishes a Yankee. I mean, that'll be something we could send him off. Yeah, the Yankees though, announced they're doing a little pregame ceremony before. Yeah. Yeah, at the stadium. Yeah, I mean, that'll be cool. I'm honestly like, I don't really care, but <laughs> at the same, I just, I, I want the kids to finish well, and I want the, uh, I, I would like to see them finish over 500. Um, I would like to see them uh, finish over 500 as well. And uh, what kind of reception do you think Mark Teixeira is going to get in that ceremony? I think he's going to, I think he's going to get a great reception. I think every, when, when a guy like that who, who really hasn't, you know, there's been, there haven't been any black marks on Mark Teixeira, right? I mean, uh, I mean come on. He had a lot of time on the DL in the last four But that's years. that's not something that people are going to boo about. That's not something that no, people are not going to be. they won't boo, but 
not not boo, but not. I think it's going to be a very loud ovation at that time when when it's injuries or we're talking about a guy struggling at certain areas. That stuff is forgotten in that moment, and all of that is remembered are the good times. And he's going to get a great ovation. He's going to get a standing ovation. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, and because he's a nice guy, he's always been he's always been good to to the fans. He, you know, he's always. He's he's a guy that's going to get a very very good ovation. Also, the last two months of the season since he announced his retirement, he's been a backup player and he has not bitched about it once. He's no. he's realized what he is a no longer a good baseball player and he's just sort of taken a back seat, which is respectable. Um, and yeah, they're just going to play highlights of the 09 playoff run and exactly. everything he did. I mean, put up MVP level numbers for the first couple years with the Yankees. Um, so that's definitely yeah, he'll get a cheer. Um, he'll get cheers. I'm looking forward to Severino starting. Uh, I want to. I still think he's a starting pitcher, and I still think that they need him to be a starting pitcher if this team is going to compete for the playoffs next year. So tonight, as we're as the podcast is airing tomorrow, we're going to know how, how Severino pitched. Tough Blue Jays lineup who's trying to make the playoffs. It's a big start for Severino. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's got to show the fact that he can do what he's done in the bullpen now, starting with the ball in the first inning. And it, you know, we've we've gone through this. You kind of with a fine-tooth comb, with the same, uh, saying that you know he's he's pitched multiple innings, so it's not like he's just going through one rotation of the batting order. I mean, he's gone through a couple, uh, a couple, almost three, probably two, though rotations to the batting order, and and he's succeeded with 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 great success. And you know, when he first started getting into the bullpen, so the fact is, is that he's he's getting these guys out, and um, you know, I think the biggest thing for him, and and I think you agree with me, is that third pitch. It's that you know he's got to get command of that changeup. He's got to be able to throw three pitches because that third time around, for whatever reason, when he's starting, um, you know, he gets in trouble. And and I think it's also gotten to him earlier because he's gone mental. So yeah. yes, it's a mental. big start. He needs to mental prove the game. fact that he can do it. He needs to prove the fact that he can do it. I, I'm convinced it's a mental game and not a physical game. I mean, yes, he needs to develop the third pitch, but well, I think the, the fact proven, that he doesn't develop it is mental as well. But he's proven that his two pitches are good enough to get two to three, maybe even four innings out of the bullpen. So why then does he get shelled in the first and second inning of every start? Yeah, I mean, I, to to me, if you're a starting pitcher, though, you should have three pitches. You should definitely have one because yes, if you, you want to be an elite starting pitcher, you absolutely 100 need three pitches. You hear David Cohn talking about this, and there were days where you know he wouldn't have control of of a certain pitch, and he would he would have two more pitches to go to if that were the case. So the fact of the matter is that these guys are not going to have full control every single time they're out. And if you only have two pitches, you're really playing with with fire at that point. You need that that third pitch and have confidence in that third pitch so that you can you know make adjustments and uh, and just feel what what's good. That day, so I still think that's a crucial part of him being successful. Don't you agree, though, that if he's not a starting pitcher next year, I mean that that hurt. They need him to be a starting pitcher if they want to make the playoffs next year. I mean, yeah, looking at what we have now and what's out there on the market, and uh, you know, unless the Yankees are making a trade for a guy that you know we're, we're not even thinking of at this moment, yes, he, he's he's a guy that should be in the rotation. I mean, this is a guy that that really put the Yankees in a hard spot this year because he wasn't in the rotation. We've seen what happens when you're your projected starters don't do what they have to do and they're out of the the rotation at that point. I mean, your your team is in le- is left in disarray. So, yeah, this is a guy that has the stuff, you know, as you love st- the the word stuff. Um and uh you know, he's just got to put it together. Hopefully, hopefully he doesn't have to be uh he, he doesn't have to be like the anomaly like Evaldi was. That'll that'll, that'll Evaldi's not going to be here, so you need a new guy to to bitch about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I had no problem uh, bitching at Carl Pavone. I mean, uh, Nathan Avaldi. That's good. Uh, 
Question from Jacob Collier. He says, would it be fair to say Girardi should get next year to play around with the new and improved Yankees, even with the way he managed this roller coaster year? Or do you believe the way he managed close games the last month was atrocious enough to get him fired? I kind of feel like we should have talked about Girardi more on last week's podcast. Um, somehow you and I let him off the hook for really, really poor managing in the the Dodgers series at home and then the Fenway, uh, the series at Fenway against the Red Sox. We let him off the hook uh, a bit. We, you know, we, we did our percentages on who was to blame because the fact of the matter is, is that it didn't matter who you put out at any given time. They all sucked. It was nobody was doing their job. So when when the players aren't doing their job, it makes the manager look that much worse. So you know, I, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's really tough to get down on a guy. But the even tinkering, though I the tinkering with the bullpen, trying to get an extra out out of a guy, not giving Batances a clean. Yes, I just think that he he did. And then and then against Baltimore too, when he put, I think he put in defensive replacements in like the sixth inning of of one of those games when clearly the Yankees were going to need to score more runs. It's just you know, frustrating. Some when of the you decisions. when you look at Batances over you know even since then and and how bad he's been on on some of these games. You know, maybe he knew that, and he was really just trying to get out of the out of a game without using him. You know, he he's obviously seeing this guy throw every single day. He knows how he feels. He's talking to the the guys, he's talking to the coaches, talking to the guys watching his uh, his bullpen sessions. So you know, he has more information. And and who's to say that there wasn't something there where hey, this guy really does need rest. He really needs rest badly. Uh, so I don't know. There's there's yes, I I don't I don't agree with a lot of those decisions. I mean, we've we've already gone through that. But the fact of the matter is. Is that it's it's not all on him. I mean, you have to at some point put the blame on the shoulders of the players who are executing or not executing. Zero percent chance he gets fired this offseason. Zero percent. There's nobody else to take the job. Look if it at, was look, negative, if I there? could give a negative percentage, I would. People have to realize that that when they call for Girardi's head, first of all, look at this. Look at what happened this season. Like you said, tale of two to three seasons, and, and they were they were in the hunt until last week. I mean, that's crazy. The fact that they're you know they were however seven games over five hundred for a, a given time. I mean, this guy has gotten a lot out of this team, and the the young kids came up and responded. So, going back to going back to Girardi managing with the Florida Marlins and the the good job he did with the young kids. That's his bread and butter. That's where he is. He develops players. And apparently position players, he develops very well. I mean, that's kind of has been his reputation from the get. So the fact is, is that these guys are coming up. He's got a young team. Um, I think this is actually more in his wheelhouse than some of the older guys. Yes, and I think he got into a trap with the Yankees the last few years in trying to appease veterans while still trying to win games, and it just wasn't working. Right. Um, but... If if we go through another season and he chokes as far as bullpen management in the second half of the year again next year, then I think there's a legit case for having him fired because he really screwed up with the bullpen last September too. You know, it's it's a very interesting time in the in the franchise because I, you know we know what what's coming. It's rebuild the rebuild the empire, and if you haven't gotten your T-shirt, go get it because it's a banging T-shirt. But it's it's the rebuild time. It, Shameless they, plug. They are rebuilding this 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 team, and all of these kids, if a lot of them, I'd, I'd say the majority of them, are going to be up next year at some point during the season, whether it's to start or to end the season, they're going to be there. So if Girardi is showing that he's not able to do well with these kids next year, I think they're going to have to make a change because it'll still be early enough where the the new manager, if there were a new manager, can have influence on these kids. But it needs to be relatively early. It needs to be early enough where, where you know there could be a, a rapport with the new guys and and then build along with them. So it's 
Next year's an important year for sure. I feel like it's not a true baseball season if you don't absolutely hate the manager, though. Like, when has anyone ever been happy with the manager unless their team wins the World Series? Right. There's always yeah, and he's always the guy that, that people bitch at. Like unless unless you're unless you're literally expected to have 50 wins and you take your team to the playoffs and uh, you can say that that manager did a good job, everyone's always going to bitch about the manager, and it's always going to be that way with Girardi. I think people are always going to be pissed off at him. Um, all right, guys, thank you for the mailbags. As I've said a few times, we are doing a wrap up. Uh, podcast next week you know grades highlights lowlights of the season so send us your mailbag questions or takes or whatever it may be so we can read them next week um you can do that by hitting us up on twitter at yankees podcast or going to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast and call the voicemail line and leave a hot take maybe we got a hot take while this podcast was going on that number is 646-480-0342 so definitely uh we want to hear from you guys as the season is winding down Okay. Move, and real quick, moving into the offseason, the voicemail box is going to be live. We need you guys to call in because we're going to make this more part of the show. We're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to figure out a good way to do this. The voicemail line, I don't know why people are scared to call this voicemail line because all it is is literally a recording and you just leave a message. But some people... People don't like the phone anymore. I, I don't understand. It's ridiculous. You don't have to talk to anybody. You're I talking don't like to a freaking either. machine. I don't like the phone. But look, it's a, it's a, you're, thank you. You're helping the cause. It's a, you know, leave a 20 to 20 to 30 second, like boom, quick hit, you know, prepare it, make it good. And, and we'll play them on the show. I'd love to, sh- to play like, you know, five or six back to back. I think that'd be a, like a really fun segment of the show. I totally agree. All right. You ready to get sad? Yes. Bad. Horrible weekend in sports. Um, Arnold Palmer died, which is sad, but he was very old. So, like you can kind of just look back on his life and say, awesome sports icon, fantastic. But the fact that Jose Fernandez is 24 years old and he dies in a boating accident after everything that guy has been through to get to the major leagues, tried to defect from Cuba four times. I mean, just think about like as a teenager, he was 15 years old when he was doing this and he was just trying to make a better life for himself, him and his mom, trying to get out of Cuba and like, drowning in the water trying to save his mother and on these these life rafts trying to get out of cuba this horrible dictatorship of a country where they don't even let their someone the talent of jose fernandez use his talent and and become a better person it's just so horrible what that guy had to go through to get to the united states and then for have to have it be ripped away like that it's just like it's so tragic it's unbearable to think about yeah, it's I mean, I was shocked when I saw the news that, you know, that he had passed in this boating accident and, you know, the just everything around it. I mean, such a young guy, such exuberance, such such talent, you know, not just him uh, as a baseball player, but I mean, you could everybody there was nobody that really had anything bad to say about this kid. I mean, it was all positive stuff. And, you know, the reuniting with his grandmother, that story. And um, I don't know. It's it's devastating. It really is. It's it's extremely sad, and um, you know I I don't really. <laughs> it's it's hard to put into words when you when a young guy like that is taken, uh, you know, so fast. Well, so part of me feels even stupid talking about it because not only am I not a Marlins fan, but I've only watched Jose Fernandez pitch maybe three or four times in in my watching days, and. All I know is what I've read of him and and what people have said of him. But and like, there's always this outpouring of of emotion on Twitter, and it's like from people who 
weren't fans of the Marlins, weren't fans of Fernandez, just doing it because they want to have an opinion out there. But what I really go to is like all the stories from people who actually knew him. And like you said, everyone has said nothing but good things. Yeah. Um, the Marlins are retiring number 16 already. Everyone on the team for the Marlins tonight is wearing number 16. Um, they'll probably wear a patch all season next year too. Um, it's like, I don't know if you listened to Mattingly's press conference, but I mean, he yeah, was I did. crying. Um, it, it's just, it's just sad. And, and I, and I, like I said, I kind of feel foolish because like, who am I to talk about someone like this? But well, I mean, it's not that you, you, I think people get to a certain level when they see someone who is a, a, a popular player, a superstar, whether they've watched them pitch or not, they know who they are. They know their accolades. And the fact is this guy was just an absolute rising, shining star and was killed in a tragic boating accident. And I think people just, it doesn't matter who that person is and, you know, what they, whether they're a, a singer or a, a baseball player or they were just someone in the spotlight that was taken so young. That's what hits people so hard is that there was just a, a person taken that young that had so much potential um, and showed so much to, to people for the, at their young age. And I think that's, that's where it hits everybody because I think there are just other relatable stories that people know and cue into their brains from, from their own lives that, that make them, you know, I, I guess relate to this type of thing. It's just, it's one of those things when a young guy is taken away, it's just, uh, it's tragic. It, there's no other way to put it. And, um, I mean, it seems foolish thinking about a baseball angle from this at this point, because obviously life is so much more important, but I mean, he was back from Tommy John surgery, looked like he was going to be a Cy Young candidate for the next 10 years. And now this sets the Marlins franchise back. Unbelievably. It's like, it's just tragic for those fans, those fans who actually do exist of the Marlins. It's like, well, our favorite player was just ripped from us. It's like, it's terrible. And, and it's, it's crazy. The, the, the ultimate irony of the, the fact that his demise was met on a boat where he it's, had it's taken awful. four times to get over and, you know, playing for, for the Miami team, which is the city right there. I mean, there's basically just, is yeah, Cuba North. I mean, he, so he's, a, I mean, you know, he's a huge, he's a huge guy. I don't really know what his, uh, his contributions or you know how much he was involved with the local community but i can only imagine he was just because of the the large cubic and cuban contingent there so it's just overall it's just a it's just a sad story in general and uh just take it too young it's just uh it's bad you know and it's you know we didn't we weren't going to talk about this but i want to just bring it up quickly i mean so a couple one of the guys wrote in uh, as a mailbag about young guys um you know going out with a lot of money and doing things like this and there's that invincibility of young guys I mean, I had it when I was a, when I was that young, when I was in my early twenties, and it's just it's one of those things. It's unfortunate, guys. Just at, at that age, and I can relate only because I know I was stupid and reckless at some points. Um, but it and doesn't that, you know, sound like Fernandez, and I know the person who wrote in was sort of talking in general. But it doesn't in seem general, like yeah. this was a situation where Fernandez there was not at this point known to be any alcohol involved. Right. There was a speed issue in the jetty. It was dark. It was at night, so they slammed into the jetty which they shouldn't have been going that fast but apparently he's been out with these players on with these people on this boat hundreds of times he loves fishing is that what it was it a fish they're out fishing is that yeah yeah, d gordon said uh or someone was saying like he would always come in after fishing and just be so excited about all the all the fish he caught and like he legit loved fishing like that was one of his favorite hobbies to do um so I, i think that's what they were doing and um like to say like we don't know what actually happened but it doesn't seem like fernandez was a guy who was somebody who was acting recklessly or doing something he shouldn't have been doing it's just a tragic accident yeah i mean I don't, I don't know anything about the other guys on there it's just it's it's just unfortunate when when young guys are uh, i mean what he was what that they were uh 
that was what the the deal was that hit the jetty or yeah. going fast. Yeah, crazy. They, man. they died. Um, everyone probably knows this at this point, but they died. They say on impact, not from drowning. Like that's right. how fast they were going. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, crazy man. It's just uh, it's unfortunate. And Arnold Palmer died. I just want to say, like, I actually do have a story of a time I met Arnold Palmer. Um, I was at a charity golf tournament in Rhode Island, and he was playing in it, and uh, he hit a ball. Uh, off the fairway into a group of people and he came over and since it was a charity tournament and he was older in age at this point he spent five minutes like talking to a group of 15 of us shook all of our hands like was very personable very funny took out of took out an iron and whacked the ball out of the out of the fair out of the rough and, and walked up the fairway uh couldn't have been a nicer guy in the two minutes i got to meet him and talk to him yeah he's just one of the all-time classics i mean the guy was a just a, a staple at the Masters and all the big programs, all the big tournaments, and just, uh, he's guy's been around for a long time. It's uh, it's unfortunate that he passed. He didn't look great the last time we saw him. I think when you, when they yeah, do that, he um, hits the Masters. That, yeah, the shot, Masters ball, the right? Shot, yeah, yeah. So it's unfortunate. It's sad. Uh, the the man definitely lived a full and uh, positive life, though. That's for sure. Definitely. Uh, sorry, guys, to end the show on such a sad note. But when something like this happens, we got to talk about it. Um, Anything positive you want to say before we get out of here so people aren't depressed on a Tuesday morning? You know, let's just see what, hopefully we can uh, end the season and and, uh, do well. Let me say this. People are saying on Twitter, like, oh, tank the rest of the season so we get a higher draft pick. This is not football. This is not basketball. Uh, A draft pick, number 13 overall to number 15 or 16 overall, does not make a difference. I would. I don't want them to tank. The well, tell, the, tell the people who said that who uh, drafted after they Mike Trout was drafted, or now Gary Sanchez. Well, he wasn't drafted. He wasn't drafted. But that's <laughs> just. I, I. I. honestly don't think two spots is really going to make that much of a difference. It might. You never know. But I don't want them to tank the season. I mean, that's not something that you do. No, we're we're in the New York Yankees. You don't tank seasons, we're please. Above. Come on. Yeah, we're way better than that. All right, guys. Uh, good stuff, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.